got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 4. Psalms 4, as we, like Pastor Micah said, are working through a new series called Selah, through the Psalms. And uh, I think Jacob, he's in uh, Southeastern right now, asked me, you know, are we going to Am I, still, am I going to be out of college by the time we get through Psalms? I think you may be married. <laughs> I'd be married with kids by the time we get through. And uh, Psalms 4, a couple things I want to encourage you with. Your, your sermon notes has less on it this week than normal. I did that for a reason, to try to help you. You'll see more on the screen than you see on your notes. So I urge you, in your individual and collective time with the Lord, always have a pen in your hand. Your pen says this. Your pen's an act of faith. It says, Lord, if you teach me something, I'll write it down that I can teach other people. So I encourage you, bring a Bible or a device that has one on it, a pen, and make sure you have your sermon notes with you this morning. I practice this. I want you to know I practice Psalms 4 because my wife's been out of town for about three days. I tried to wash my favorite pants last night, and I stood there before the wash machine and told it who I was. Then I pleaded to my God, and I decided to wear dress pants this morning because the washing machine didn't pay me a bit of attention. So I tried to practice it before I preached it. And I'll be glad when my wife gets home. Amen. We love, our, we love our spouses. I want you to see something. Before we stand and read Psalms 4, I want you to get a little bit of the context here because this is important. So look at the first little prescript right at the beginning before we get to verse 1. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. And so as we read it, you'll see David's going through a moment of distress. And we don't have the information of which distress it was. If you know his life, there was plenty to choose from. Talked about Absalom last week. He's got powerful enemies that are pressing against him. That we know by the psalm. But I want you to see this because this is going to unfold both ways throughout the sermon. That this psalm is meant to be read as well as an individual act of worship. Many people call Psalms 4 the evening psalm, Psalms 5 the morning psalm. In other words, you would read Psalms 4 before you went to bed. Read Psalms 5 when you got up. In your individual time... David intends for this not only to be the individual, but look at what it says here. He intends it to be part of our collective, our gathered worship. Notice he's given this to the worship leader, telling him to use to sing this song with stringed instruments. You see, the Bible does not prescribe nor forbid any particular mode of worship provided that it is undecently and in order and then it is edified to God's people and glorifies his name. The point is the people should sing. God's people should sing both individually and collectively. And so let's, let's read this. Stand with me to your feet as we read Psalms 4. And I hope you picked up on it last week. I'm practicing to sail us. Just what Pastor Micah told us to do. So we're going to try to practice that as we read. Psalms, remember, is, is supposed to be read as poetry. Supposed to be read one line at a time. Okay, so let's pay attention as we read to, to the punctuation. This is God's word. He, he ordains it all. 
and answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so, Lord, we desire to have peace and rest this morning. We all do. And yet you have prescribed something here, Lord. We, we need to see who you are so that we know who we are. We need to be reminded, Lord, of this Godward perspective of life. So, Lord, do your work through your word. You promised you would. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Ultimate things really do matter. That's what we've been talking about. Every week, reminding you that the Psalms 1 and 2 is critical to understanding. They're the keys to understanding the rest of the psalm. Faith or trust, another way to say that. Trust in our sovereign Father is fundamental. Dare I say, it is, should be elementary to the foundations of our faith. I do not mean with elementary that I mean trivial or simple. I mean that it is the foundation Dad's building a house right now. Just started it. Pulled the foundation this week. It's important. One day we'll see the house. But the foundation is important. And so he starts there this morning with this. He wants us to understand. That to understand that God is God. He's sovereign. And that he's our father. is foundational for our peace. For our joy. For our rest. It transcends our, our, what's happening in our life. How do we do it? How do we keep this Godward perspective in the midst of trials of life? Because don't we know that it is more dangerous when the trials are not in your life because you say, I'm rest and I'm at ease and all is well. It's when it's the most dangerous. And so, how do we keep this Godward perspective? Well, this is both a prayer and a song, but it, David means for it to have a purpose for us this morning. And so, there's three things I want you to see. David intends on this psalm correcting our thinking. He wants to correct how his foes think and how we think. He wants to direct our discipleship. He wants to increase our faith. Your prayer is worship. You hear what I said? Your prayer is worship. And in his mode, and that's what we love David, it is supposed to be both intelligent and desperate. We see it both. But we need to be reminded because we often do lose our perspective. 
And so he wants us to do two things this morning. I want you to see, broke it up into two. It's really is two sermons. I crammed it into one. The Lord provides grace for those in need. And the Lord also provides a Godward perspective in the daily things of life. But we must start where David starts. So let's look at verse 1. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So let's first look at the plea and the provider. But you see the, the basis of his plea. The confidence that he has to plea is based on the character of the provider. But notice this is personal. He says, the God of my righteousness. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say the God of righteousness. It could have been. That would have been good. But he, puts, he says the God of my righteousness. Why does he say that? You see, God is the author. This is what he understands about God. God is the author and the source of my righteousness. Both my righteous standing before God and my righteous living before others. He's the author of it. He's the source of it. This is a greater to lesser thinking. You've got to see this this morning. This is how David is thinking. Greater. Greater ultimate things matter. Greater is God's character. He is my righteous. He secures my standing before Him. He's the author of how I live. He started it. This is greater or lesser. Why is He saying this? Why does He start here? Because that's ultimate. My enemies are not ultimate. My current situation stinks, but it is not ultimate. My standing before God is. My living before others is. But my situation, these enemies that pressing in on me are not. And so if God can take care of my standing, if He can drive my living, He can take care of them. That's where He starts. This is greater the lesser. You get the greater the lesser it can be navigated. You neglect God's character and you don't have a chance of navigating the heart in life. This is not just about righteous being the norm and standard of that which is right. The standard or the norm. This is, this is relational. This is covenant language. This is, expresses a relationship between God and His people. He's the God of my righteousness. Yes, God is righteous in Himself, but He expresses it in His relationship to His people. This is foundational. He's not some deistic God up there who doesn't care about what's going on. He has pursued relationship with the people. He has entered into covenant with them. This is grace, brothers and sisters. Didn't have to. This is grace. Spurgeon. Let us imitate it and always take our suit, not to the petty courts of human opinion, but into the superior court, the king's bench of heaven. It is on this foundation that he utters this fourfold imperative in his plea. He says, answer me, give me relief, be merciful to me, hear my prayer. All of that sets foundationally on the God of my righteousness. This gives him confidence to say, be gracious to me, hear my prayer. Remember, this is supposed to be individually and corporately prayed. Do you remember the grace that's in Jesus Christ for you today? Can we be reminded of that? Because that's, 
what Michael was saying. That's the sailor. Let's read this and, and just stop and pause. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Verse 19. We need to remember the grace that comes through Christ alone. Notice the, the prayer, the pleas, the entrance into God's presence and how it came about. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the Lord provides this grace. And the next thing we know in this psalm, the Lord's providing him grace to appeal. He's appealing to his enemies. It's amazing. But remember the context. David's in an actual situation that he's writing about. There was actual enemies. But he's also given this psalm to be individually and corporately worshipped. So he's also not only speaking to his enemies, he reminded, he's reminding himself and reminding his, God's people. We need to be reminded. Listen to what he says. Verse 2. Oh men. That means powerful men. Probably those that have the landowners in that society, the, the, the renowned men. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now he's directing this towards someone. They might be great men, but he says you're foolish men. This is vanity. You see, they've gone astray in two ways, and they're linked together. They've scoffed God's glory in scoffing despising God's anointed king. You see, you can't mess with God's people and not mess with God. Not only that, they've pursued their own glory. That's the point, you see. They've tried to push David out. They're pushing on him and they're pursuing vanities and deceptive through pursuing their own glory. And here's what he's saying. There's not a child who doesn't like to chase those bubbles, right? Blow the bubbles out and they chase them. That's the picture. What, when you catch one of those things, what exactly have you just caught? It's like chasing these little bubbles on a windy day. And even if you can catch one, what have you just caught when you catch it? He's like, that's what you're doing by pushing against God's anointed king. This is important, you see. David, for David, his his confidence is in whose he is. That's why he's warning. That's why he's pleading to these ungodly people. That's why he's reminding God's people. Remember whose he is. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is foundation for your life this morning, brothers and sisters. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. That's a sobering warning to his enemies. It's a Comforting reminder for his people. The Lord hears when I call him. I don't understand, brothers and sisters, why God's church pushes against a truth that will set you free this morning. But let's just see it. Let's see it in David's life. Psalm 78. If you want to make someone mad in the church, just talk about the doctrine of election. 
I don't understand, brothers and sisters, because God's Word here says David, it was the basis of his plea. It's the foundation of his life. Psalms 78, verse 70 says, He chose David his servant. He took him from the sheepfolds, from the following of the nursing of ewes, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. You see what he's saying? David's sitting up on a hill taking care of his sheep. The biggest problem he has is keeping his sheep protected and making sure the baby gets enough to eat. The next thing you know, He's the king of his God's people. You see, David was chosen to be king, and his sons were not chosen. He chose the least son, remember? The last shall be first. Chose the little dirty boy minding the sheep and made him king. This verse not only implies election, but presence and the power of God's Spirit. You see, it is a very dangerous thing to offend the least of one of God's children. Isn't this what Absalom learned? You remember Absalom last week? Tried to take the kingdom that God had given to David. You remember what happened to him? 20,000 men against 600. And it was the 20,000 that lay dead on the field. And Absalom was swinging from a tree. This is the peril, you see. Confidence for David, but warning to those, to his enemies. A reminder. Lottie Moon, Southern Baptist missionary to China, said this, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. What are you going to do with someone like that? What are you going to do? So David warns them of their peril, but listen, he also invites them to repent. But I wanted wanted to spend some time here this morning. Because all the other Godward perspectives flow from this, brothers and sisters. All the spiritual disciplines will be drudgery to you unless you understand verse 3 that says the godly are His. They belong to Him. That's what He's saying. That's His comfort. That's His foundation this morning. Men build skyscrapers. I watched that on Netflix. There's a documentary. Men build skyscrapers and they put their name on it to bring glory to themselves. God stamps His name on His people. You see why it's dangerous to mess with God's people? Because God stamps His name on them. His children. You see, for Christians, there is a treasure that only comes by grace. It only comes by grace. And His name is Jesus. I want you to see what 1 Peter says. This is not just a psalm. This is all through Scripture. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Listen to what it says about our Lord. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, what does it say about Jesus? Chosen and precious. Do you see it? You should never take that one without the other. To be chosen is to be precious. You yourselves are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through who? Jesus Christ. Verse 6. For, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay a, laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. There it is again. Repeated Scripture is important, remember? Chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So to honor for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In other words, it doesn't matter what they believe. He's the cornerstone. How about us? Look at verse 9. 
How about you today? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous life. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. That's exactly what David's saying. God's set apart for Him, you see. It's David's confidence. David said, I'm not going to perish because I've been set apart for God Himself. God saves His people because they're His. His people. And listen, some people say, if God is sovereign, why pray? I ask you to look at what David says. He says, I pray because God is sovereign. That's what he's saying this morning. David says, look what he says. Look back at the verse. Because I'm wholly set apart from him, the Lord hears my prayer. You see, it's the foundation for his prayers. That's why he has confidence. The Lord hears my prayers. Psalms 34 verse 15 displays both grace and justice. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. That's grace. And his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This justice. We'll talk about this next week. Look at what it says. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. Listen to this grace. It's dripping from this text. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. Well, that's grace. And delivers. That's grace. Them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near. That's grace. To the brokenhearted. And saves. That's grace. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's just reality, brothers and sisters. That's reality. But the Lord delivers them from them all. That's grace. So what are you saying, Pastor? That the Lord doesn't really hear the wicked when they pray? There's a big difference between hearing and heeding. Here's what he's promised to God's people, the holy who sets apart. He's not only going to hear you, he's going to heed you. God protects his own, brothers and sisters. So the Lord not only provides grace in times of need, but he gives his people then. That's why I wanted to spend that time. Because that sits on that foundation. And he gives us these Godward perspectives. Now this is both and. It's not only a plea to to the enemy to repent. This is also a reminder for us as we individually and corporately worship. Why is that important? You see, before we can call someone to repent, we need to be walking in repentance. Before we can call someone and point to how holy God is and how we should walk in holy, do we not need to know who God is and be walking in holiness? Before we can call someone to see their own depravity before a holy God, do we not need to see ours? We need to testify. We need to urge. We need to plea. But equally, we must model what we desire to see. And so, the godly are His. And so, practice. Look at verse 4. God given repentance. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts and on your beds. Be silent. The word angry right there could be translated tremble. This is a really good, helpful translation. Tremble and do not sin. Weep bitterly from your hearts upon your bed. That that sort of captures verse 4. What he's calling, reminding us to do, what he's calling the enemies that 
pushing against him. Tremble and do not sin. You need to repent on your bed. Ephesians 4.26 Remember, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger or your wrath. It's a good memory verse. Why is that? Because we have an we have an intention, we have a, a, oftentimes a habit of sinning and not trembling. What he's saying is you need to tremble and you will not sin. Cause them to be silent. That means be still like a rock. You be still like a rock. Don't move. That's the sailor. You need to be still. You need to be silent. Stop. Be silent. Think about the way you're walking. Think about who you're sinning against. Think about the destination you're headed to. Psalms 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. That's what David hopes. The wicked should endure a sleepless night if only it brings them to a broken repentance. You see, honest evaluation brings an inward conversation. A conversation you have with yourself. But it takes an honest evaluation of who your God is and who you are. You remember Isaiah 6, 5. Pastor Micah mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Isaiah sees the Lord. True picture of who God is. And all of a sudden, he can have an honest evaluation of himself and other people. Do you remember? What was me? For I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of, my, of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord. And that's an honest evaluation that brings repentance. This is what he's saying. That broken repentance leads to God-given worship. Verse 5. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. You see, you don't have to go to the New Testament to hear a full gospel invitation. You hear what he's saying? He's calling on his people. He's calling on his enemies. Repent. Walk in your repentance. Offer some sin worship. Put your trust in the Lord. Does it sound like anything we've ever heard? It's a sermon. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, but if you have not heard, unless you repent, you will perish. You have not heard the gospel. Repentance leads to worship. It leads to sincere worship. Do you remember John the Baptist is baptizing people, getting them ready for the Messiah coming. Here comes the most religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to watch him. What did he say to him? Do you remember? Matthew 3 verse 7 says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Sacrifices are only righteous. When they are giving from devotion, flowing from a right relationship with God. Sacrifices are only righteous when they are giving from devotion that flows from a right relationship with God. Isn't this what Saul learned the hard way in 1 Samuel 15.22? Do you remember? Saul, big, tall, everybody loves Saul, going to go out to war and... He's supposed to wait on Samuel. Remember, prophet, priest, don't offer sacrifices without him. Saul says, I got it. He got, he, maybe he's stuck in traffic. I'll take care of it. Do you remember? Offered that sacrifice. Lost the kingdom that day. 
Listen to what Samuel said to him. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and, and to listen than that of fat, the fat of rams. Look into verse 23. Sounds a lot like what Jesus would say. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is the sin of iniquity and idolatry. He's saying for you to disobey here is the same as witchcraft. And to presume on the Almighty is just like offering a sacrifice to a false god. Lost a kingdom that day. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Isn't this what David learned? Talked about that last week. Remember? Adultery with Bathsheba. Murder of Uriah. Nathan the prophet comes and tells him a little word picture. You're the man. Remember? He learned what sincere worship was through broken repentance. Psalms 51 was an expression of his broken repentance. In verse 17, here's what he learned. Through his sin, through the mercy of God, through repentance, he, he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, this is the point this morning. You need to listen to me because I know we've been talking about this in growth group. You might be reading your Bible in the morning or at night. But you may not be meditating, praying, and self-examining yourself. And if you're not, you may be missing sincere worship. Because if you do not experience broken repentance in your time with God, you will miss sincere worship. Repentance precedes it. Are you with me? Repentance precedes sincere worship. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said, if you come to the altar and you remember something that's going on with you and your brother, leave it there. Go get it right. Why? Because repentance and reconciliation precedes sincerity of your worship. It leads to it. Repentance leads to worship. Leads to joy and contentment. Verse 6 says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up your face upon us, O Lord. Man, this is everywhere, isn't it? You see, for man, I need to cash it for it to be good, right? If I can't put it in the bank and it help me pay my bills, it's not good. This is the abominable prosperity gospel, isn't it? That teaches people to praise prosperity instead of God? As if God is not enough? But see, for David, it was just the opposite. For David, the God's grace is his riches. His stamp on him... That your mind is enough. That's what kept him humble when he was sitting as king. And what lifted him up when he was in the valley of despair. You see, we need to hear this this morning. God's enough without us. But we're nothing without him. You see, that set David free right there. And for some people, it offends you. Listen, God will be here when you are gone. And He was here before you got here. This is David's hope, you see. Your God must be sovereign. He said, God is, en is enough without me, but he's, he's picked me up as a shepherd. He's put me over the king. and I'm nothing without Him. I can't do it, God, without you. It is in that reality. And not only you experience worship, but gain a contentment and a joy that no one can do anything with. Take it away. Can't it take away 
my sufficiency in Jesus Christ because he gave it to me. He gave it to me. It's a gift of his grace. Here's the contrast. Here's the joy. Verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they, remember they, than they have when their grain and wine abound. What David's saying? Oh, yes, have your best life now. That's a man word. That's not a God word perspective, by the way. It's not. He says, I have more joy than when they're having their best life now. Just the fact that I'm God's and He's mine. No one can take that away from me. Listen to this as you just look. Just meditate on verses 6 and 7 with your eyes. Let me read Isaiah 9 over, over the top of this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoils. He said, they're going because of God's grace has been shown to the nations. They're more joyful than a bumper crop. They're more content and happy than if they would have conquered the wealthiest nation and divided the spoils. Is the light of God's grace enough for you? That's the question. There's a right answer. Inward side of your man now, in Jew Paul's, has an answer to that question. The reality that I'm in Christ more valuable than your 401. You see, unless God is all you need, you will always need no matter what you have. Unless God is all you need, you will always need. No matter what you have, this is the warning to the wealthy that he's speaking to, that seek to remove him, that seek to distress him. He says you will always need because you do not have the Lord. So repent. Walk in your repentance. Trust in Him and you will have all you need. It's good news, brothers and sisters. It's good news. Broken repentance brings sincere worship. It brings joyful contentment. And it is the end of that that you experience God-given rest and peace. And listen, there is no back door nor an easy button to God's rest and peace. If it comes, it does, it comes through repentance and it comes through nothing else. This is the gospel today. He says, because of this, because I am his and he has set me apart, I'll have a Godward perspective which looks like me walking in repentance and sincerely worshiping and living in a joyful contentment. And that's why I can lay down at night and go to sleep. Can you? Here's what he says. Sounds like Psalms 23, doesn't it? Oh, Oh Lord, the Lord alone makes me dwell in safety. The greatest grace of believers is an inward peace. That no enemy and no trial can take away. This is like that thorn. You ever had a thorn in your hand? And the more you, you dug at it, the deeper it goes. You ever had that? This is God's grace. It's that thorn that you can't get a hold of. It's a good thorn. Because the more the trials press on it, the deeper it goes. You see, for believers, the deeper the root, the better the fruit. See, the enemies pushing and pushing and pushing on David. 
He says, you cannot take away my holy confidence because God has given it to me. And you cannot take away the peace of God because it is within me. Can, can I teach you something that's changed my life? Every aspect. I was a machinist in a family business. Thought I was going to do that forever. And then God made me uncomfortable and called me to do something. To be a pastor. Got a sense of humor. As I'm up here today, I was worked in a machine shop all my life. Then he called us to adopt and sent us home without our kids. How do we get through these things? You see, David knew that he did not have to try to be the king. He was the king. He didn't have to fight to keep the kingdom. God had given it to him and no one was going to take it away from him. Do you see this? Parents, you don't need to try to be a parent. God has told you you are the parent. So be the parent. He has called you to be that. Be who God has called you to be. He has given it to you. And in that walking and what God has called you to do, there is joy, there is contentment, and there is peace. No one can take it away. David didn't have to live his life wringing his hands because God had given him a covenant that was yet to be fulfilled and he knew his God. In that there is peace. In that there is rest. Do you have that? The question that we might need to ask today before we get to this other question and our application is, have you been saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone? Because, listen, there, that is the only way to experience rest and peace. There is no other peace. You do not have peace with God if you have not repented and turned to Christ as your only hope. So for the believer that says, yes, I put my faith in Christ. How do I, but do I have a Godward perspective? How do I know? Well, is there actually a joy and contentment and peace and rest in your life? Or would you have to take an honest evaluation, and we need to, and say, no, I don't. It's not there, Pastor. Can I just tell us to stop for a minute at the end of this time together and say, can you remember whose you are this morning? God, God has saved you by grace through faith. He has chosen you and set you apart. You are His. It's good news this morning. That's the honest evaluation that you should have. Not that I am good, but that He is good. Not that I'm sufficient, but that He is sufficient. That's what... If we understood this, this room would be full and the unreached would be reached. Do you know whose you are? Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Promise, verse 7, in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Every time you pray, you need to remember that you're His. If you're not, you have no basis to think 
That you should even pray. You're an enemy of God. But because we have bowed to the King Jesus and repented of our sins and put our faith in Him, we have direct access to God. And so we can have, bring all of our worries and set Him at His feet. And say, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm going to bed. I'm human. You're God. Listen to this. Psalm 16 speaks of our Savior. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that you are in Christ? Psalms 16, verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I'm laying on my bed. God says, you're mine. Verse 8, I have set... Listen, look at the picture. Get it in your mind. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, because of this, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and in your presence... There is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Could I encourage you today? You are as safe in Christ as Christ is in the Father. And I can give you no better news and no other foundation for confidence and obedience and for life than that. We're going to end our time in prayer. This is called the Valley of Vision. Collection of prayers by some Puritans. They are living proof that prayer can be both intelligent and desperate. So I want to read this. Let this be a prayer of our heart as we come to worship. Bow your heads with me. Thou creator, upholder, proprietor of all things, I cannot escape from thy presence or control, nor do I desire to do so. My privilege is to be under the agency of omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, grace. Thou art love with more than parental affection. I admire thy heart, adore thy wisdom, stand in awe of thy power, abase myself before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish my fears. Allure me into thy presence. Help me to bewail and confess my sin. When I review my past guilt and am conscious of my present unworthiness, I tremble to come to thee. I whose foundation is in the dust, I who have condemned thy goodness, defied thy power, Trampled upon thy love, rendered myself worthless of eternal death. But my recovery cannot spring from any cause in me. I can destroy, but cannot save myself. Yet thou laid help on one that is mighty. For there is mercy with thee, and exceedingly riches in thy kindness through Jesus. May I always feel my need of him. Let thy restored joy 
be my strength. May it keep me from lusting after the world. Bear up my heart and mind in loss of comforts. Enliven me in the valley of death. Work in me in the image of the heavenly. And give me to enjoy the first fruits of spirituality. Such as angels and departed saints know. So God, may we now be able to stand to our feet and sing this hymn. It is well with my soul. Stand with me and let's sing.